from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to bring in uh, Thomas Phillipson. Tomas Phillipson is the former chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. He's now professor of public policy at the University of Chicago. Tomas, thank you. So I want to talk for a few moments about your article in the Wall Street Journal. Biden turns the U.S. into a shadow member of OPEC, uh, a government cartel, and that every step he takes, Biden, to stop fracking and permitting and pipelining strengthens the cartel and keeps prices higher than they would ordinarily be. I believe that's what your point is, but you tell us. Yeah, uh, good to be with you, Larry. Uh, So cartels are obviously illegal in the private sector. We have antitrust laws that prevent them, but they are permitted between governments, uh, ironically enough. Uh, In fact, OECD is running a trying to run a price cartel led by our Treasury Department of having a corporate tax force uh, so that companies or uh, countries, I should say, don't compete with each other in terms of uh, corporate tax competition. OPEC is the most famous government cartel, and it's important to understand sort of the incentives of a cartel, how it works, which is you try to hold down supply to keep prices high. When demand slopes downwards, the only way to get up prices is to have less of it. And there's, but there's an inherent incentive for cartel members to cheat if other people stick to the script. So if other countries stick to their supply cuts, it's to the benefit of a given country to sell more at the higher prices, but thereby thereby eroding the higher prices. So there's a huge instability of a cartel. So the cartel lacks people to commit to supply cuts. And that's exactly what Biden has done for the U.S. He's committed to supply cuts with legislation and regulation and also in the financial sector by basically trying to enforce regulations that limit financing of fossil fuel or oil companies. And it's that commitment through regulation and legislation that's so valuable to OPEC because traditionally U.S. would step in. They would constrain, they could, would constrain the cartel because if the cartel went in and cut supply, U.S. could actually fill it, and therefore they constrain the higher prices of OPEC. But now we're in a situation where the U.S. is basically committing not to do so, which is great news for OPEC, bad news for for um, consumers, particularly poor ones. So basically, uh, you want to bring back the Trump policies, uh, which were deregulatory policies, which were policies that promoted the expansion of the supply of oil and offset OPEC. I mean, every time I I can recall national security issues, Tomas, I mean, this is kind of interesting. You know, uh, Iran uh, bombing Saudi Arabia, Iran and Yemen, you know, people were worried about sanctions in Iran uh, or anything that would cause prices to be driven up because of what these Middle Eastern producers or OPEC members would do. But I used to argue in these uh, national security meetings 
that we shouldn't worry about that because we have so much supply. Essentially, the world was awash with oil, and oil was averaging about $50 a barrel, and frankly, it didn't matter what OPEC did. Now, all of a sudden, right. So your point is because Biden's climate change extremism has curtailed production, uh, we are playing along. So we are a shadow member. We are bolstering OPEC's power, not stopping it. Exactly. And then the, the key word is commitment by regulation and legislation. They can count on us not being in there and trying to counteract what they're doing when they're raising prices through their cartel because we're committed. It's going to take a lot of work to uncommit that legislation and regulation mm. so they can count on us not responding to what they're doing by basically being a you know a pivotal producer in the world market. Yeah, you know, it's a, a very interesting and vexing subject. I mean, here's Biden going, you know, hand in hand, hat in hand to the Saudis produce more. Lately, the Venezuelans produce more. Uh, they're playing footsie with Iran, Tomas, right? You know, for a, a nuclear deal that would be a terrible mistake in foreign policy terms. All we have to do is open the spigots here. Why is that so yeah. hard? To understand, well, I mean, they huh? open the spigots, they, turn the turn the dials, for heaven's sakes. Why is that so hard? <laughs> well, I mean, they will obviously argue that this is in for the benefit of reducing global warming, and there's there's several problems with that. One is U.S. energy is obviously cleaner than the, than the rest of the world's energy, so you're actually many times increasing global warming by substituting. Uh, away from U.S. energy. The second one is it should be a complete focus on innovation into green energy, if you want, as opposed to prevention using existing technologies. So we're substituting into more costly green energy away from cheaper fossil fuels. If fossil fuels were more expensive, they would be abandoned by the market long time ago. The problem is that, you know, green energy is more expensive, but we're pushing people, which is really hurting the poor. It's a, it's a very regressive agenda, to be honest, because mm. the poor are the ones that are spending a larger share of their budget on energy compared to rich folks. So it's a very regressive agenda of not focusing on innovation. Once this innovation, I mean, you know, we're, we're getting great news on fusion this week, right? But, you know, that's going to take decades. But that's the kind of innovation that's going to get us out of it. It's not substituting to more costly energies. And this stupid kind of discussion of Biden that we're creating green new jobs is like arguing if we had government subsidies for typewriters, we have with all these new typewriter <laughs> jobs for replacing computers, it would be great. Uh, and so I think it's completely under, misunderstanding, you know, that, that the, the, the key to this is innovation. It's not replacement of cheap energy for costly energy. Do you still have your typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it. I don't yeah, have it. I don't have it either. I, I had an, I didn't, I had a, what did I have? What was it called? Olympic or Olympia? I had one and I wasn't any, I wasn't any good at it. Anyway, that's, a, that's a great, I love that the typewriter analysis. You know, we were talking earlier uh, with John Carney at Breitbart about um, uh, these climate banks, Tomas. They're set up in the, 
Inflation Reduction Act, fraudulently named, they set up these climate banks. There's a bunch of them. And, um, you know, they're going to allocate money. God knows how much money. Um, there's about $30 billion that maybe would be the capital, and then they'd make loans to various projects. And then we learned this week, Tomas, about all this energy department subsidies to battery companies. The trouble is the battery companies are owned by the Chinese, okay? Of course, what, yeah. Whatever, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I thought we were in favor of onshoring. So we, we've got climate banks with unlimited budgets, and we've got battery subsidies for Chinese, I don't get this. This doesn't sound right to me, but you're the distinguished former CEA chair. Tell me, <laughs> tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole issue is this is very, very similar to COVID, it turns out, in my views. Because in, for COVID, what we did, we're trying to prevent disease uh, by having people locked up or, you know, reducing face-to-face activity, which is very costly. It was a lot of foregone economic activity from doing so. What saved the day for COVID was innovation, Mm. essentially, Mm -hmm. in terms of the vaccines and treatments. (laughs) And it's going to be the similar story for for green energy. It's not going to be that we're going to substitute towards more costly green energy. That's not going to be the solution, especially for the poor. It's going to hurt the poor a lot more than it hurts the rich. And it's going to be that we have new innovation where we basically bring down, as soon as we bring down and, you know, renewable energy prices below fossil fuels, it will not, we, will, we won't need governments to kind of mandate anything, right? The market is going to go there if it's cheaper. And that's the innovation that's needed. And it's very little focus on that compared to substitution mm-hmm. away from, you know, uh, cheap to costly energy. And your other point, we, we're running out of time, but Tomas, your other point, uh, fossils are cheaper than the wind farms or the solar for that that's that's a key reason why there's only three or four or five percent of these other alternative renewables so called it's just too damn expensive is that that's your point well that's a, that's a key reason we have global warming if it was more expensive we wouldn't need fossil fuel right the market would just go to greener energy automatically and we wouldn't have the the problem to start with the whole issue is that the cost of fossil fuel is cheaper and but the green energy costs are coming down over time. They're not coming down as quick as we want them, but they will come down below fossil fuels. Once that happens, the market is going to go there. You don't need any government subsidies to go there then. All right. You got it. Tomas Phillips in the University of Chicago, uh, former head of the Council of Economic Advisors during the Trump administration. Thank you, Tomas. Uh, I'm Cudlow. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about innovation, fusion versus Fusion versus something or other. Fusion versus fission. Mark Mills will tell us about it from the Manhattan Institute. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back. Excuse me. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. So, Tomas Philipson was talking about innovation and technological breakthroughs to solve the issues of uh, climate change and climate warming. And sure enough, this week we had, this past week, we had announcement from the very famous Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory out in California that um, 
made some headway in something called fusion. Fusion, uh, well, I'm going to let Mark Mills from the Manhattan <laughs> Institute, he's going to describe this. I don't I don't know. I, I don't understand anything about this stuff. Uh, this is like, yeah. it's, um, what are we doing? F- uh, nuclear reaction, when we split the atom, it's yeah. called what? That's fission. Fission. Yeah. Big, and you split big atoms. Uranium is heavy like lead. Right. It's big, and you can split it relatively easily. Right. And it releases that famous uh, conversion of matter to energy, the E equals MC squared we, we've all heard so much about, if, even if we don't understand it. Right. It just means it's a crazy big number, millions of times more energy per, per, per pound of material than combustion or wind or solar, just incredibly more Energetic. It's great stuff. And right. then, so I knew that. Fusion, Wait, I knew fusion. that. I knew that. Yeah, you knew that. <laughs> I knew that. Now, yeah. Now, yeah, fusion, fusion is what? So that's what stars do. Uh, the center of the star, it's kind of a big thing, the star. They're huge. It's not the sun. Under incredible pressure and high temperature, you can you push the hydrogen atoms together, makes them bind. That also results in an incredible. A release of energy. It's the mm. inverse. You're making a bigger atom out of a small, small one, mm. but it also is an it's an atomic phenomena. Incredible. We've been trying to uh, replicate fusion ever since uh, we understood what fusion was, how we knew how stars worked. It's really remarkable. You know that this uh, announcement deserves a lot of credit for being an incredible breakthrough in science. They got to ignition. You know, when you turn your car on, you get ignition. Uh, but to use a simplistic analogy, if you got a car engine to have ignition, but you didn't have the rest of the engine, I mean, if you just get combustion ignition, but no engine, no wheels, no steering wheel, no car, you don't have a vehicle. I mean, we're, this is this is a, a big big step in science. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't tell you anything particularly useful about how soon we'll have practical fusion, although with maybe one caveat. The joke in the, in the physics community has for 50 years been fusion is always 50 years away. Mm, right. But with this discovery, it might actually be only 50 years away, finally. We actually have a, we, may, we huh. may now finally have the roadmap. It might be close, which well, is 50 years. Well, when you were talking about having an ignition in the car, you turn the ignition on. And nothing happened. Well, that's what the Bidens are doing, right? Because they won't let ga- they won't let you have gasoline in the car. So you turn on the ignition, and nothing happens. Now, the point here is that, that was a joke. Just kidding. I'm having some fun because I know you will. But fusion is a renewable. Okay, right? Fusion is not fossil. It's a fabulous innovation. But you're saying it. I mean. Uh, the press reports were like decades away. Uh, you're saying it could be, you know, 50 years away. Or is that, yeah. you know, I don't want to be optimism or pessimism. I don't understand anything about this. I'm just asking you, how soon can this be done practically and commercially? Well, it's probably more than decades away. Only You just need to know two things that are sort of uh, useful fact points. And there's in some of the press coverage. It's usually buried. The uh, amount of energy taken from the grid to produce the fusion energy is the key thing. You want to, you want more energy coming out than you put in. That's called energy production, <laughs> on energy consumption. Mm-hmm. And it's about 200 to 300 times more energy taken from the grid to produce a unit of energy from fusion at that breakthrough. 
So we're we're not close in that sense. To have a useful energy producing machine, the stuff you put in, the energy and materials, you have to get a hundred times more out, not a hundred times less. Oh, right. That that's where right. we are. We ignition was a physics breakthrough, not a practical breakthrough. The other thing is the fuel pellets. I mean, you know, gasoline is a fuel. Uh, the solar photovoltaic cell is sort of, in a sense, a fuel. You know, costs money to make. The fuel pellet to do the fusion reaction, each pellet costs about a million dollars to be handcrafted. Hmm. And they can sort of light one up sort of once a day. You're going to have to light 10 a second up to make a power plant hmm. and figure out how to make millions of those pellets for, you know, dollars, not millions of dollars. And that I think we'll, we'll conquer that problem, but it, it might take, you know, 30 to 50 years. It's going, it's going to take time. But you have to get it into some kind of energy grid. Well, that's right? well, detail. <laughs> yes. I mean, well, just, you're, you're saying here in this New York Post article, I think it was New York Post, each unit of laser energy put into the fuel pellet gobbled 200 units of grid energy. Yeah. A lot of work needs to be done. So you got to somehow get it into the grid, which then would promote the electricity uh, you know, to power whatever, the economy. Well, you could, you know, you make heat, basically the fusion reactor would make heat, just like we burn fuel to make heat or split atoms to make heat. And you make electricity from the heat by, you know, boiling water, spinning turbines. So mm. that, that part isn't the hard part. The hard part is you have to you have to produce more more energy than you consume. And we aren't there with fusion. We're not even close mm. to there with fusion. It's you know, there's and of course, electricity. The important thing here and this is some kind of magical breakthrough. It's important, again, in science. But about a quarter of the world's energy is used in electrical form. So three quarters of the rest is not electricity. So if we if we had a magic way to make electricity, that'd be it's meaningful. I mean, but it doesn't change everything. Mm. In fact, the way to change everything, if you want more carbon-free electricity, is to promote today now uh, many more the conventional nuclear power plants that we already know how to build. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not very popular with it, most places, it's starting to become more popular slowly, but it's, uh, you know, 40, we've had 40 years of hysterical anti-nuclear opposition. Uh, so the things that we know how to use, we oppose. The things we don't know how to build, we support. It's kind of yeah. kind of infantile. Well, the base energy load, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of people. Rick Perry has said this. Dan Briette has said this. You know, people worked in the energy department, Steve Kuhn and I mean, the the base energy, Mark Mills, is got to be natural gas and nuclear, right? Sure. I mean, sure. Isn't that yeah. those are the for, the, for electricity? Clean, yeah. For transportation, oil. Clean burning. Oil. Yeah. Oh, well, that's right. So transportation, uh, that's still going to be stuck on oil, right? Where else for a have we long, got? Long time. Well, the Bidens are doing a great job. They want to stop all that. <laughs> No, no gotta, well, yeah, sure. Well, Newsom, as you as we've talked about before, Governor Newsom has it has joined a, a bunch of other states and countries banning this, the purchase and sale of internal combustion engines mm-hmm. uh, a mere decade from now mm-hmm. uh, on the on the on the belief that electric cars can uh, eliminate uh, oil use and they're practical. I mean, you know, electric cars are nice, but the reality is where we're sitting today is uh, about one percent of the world's. Uh, transportation is done with mm. electric vehicles. Mm. So 99% of the world still using engines that burn fuel. 
even the most optimistic forecasts will have something like 60 to 70 percent of the world's transportation burning oil. And then you've got the whole problem of the oil that gets burned to make the batteries to make the electric vehicles, right. which is a big number, a huge number. Well, that's the thing. I mean, so Newsom wants to end the uh, combustion engine and gasoline-powered cars. But even if you own an electric vehicle right now, he's telling you you can't recharge it because he doesn't have mm-hmm. enough electricity because he won't let anybody, um, you know, mine for natural gas. Yeah, that's true. Really? I mean, isn't yeah. that his yeah. dilemma? I mean, I know Gavin. Well, I know Gavin Newsom, but these are very extreme. I mean, these are extremely extreme ideas of his. Well, well, they are, and and we we do know that he's not stupid. You, I right. met him once. He's, I know. he's, a, he's a smart I know. guy. He's a smart guy. I totally yeah, agree with you. And I was, and when I met him, I I found him. This when he was governor, the governor was rather mayor of mayor. Francisco. Yeah. Uh, he was charming, charming, smart, right. engaging. I mean, he he'll be a formidable candidate without any question. Couldn't agree but, more, well, Mark. By the way, personally, on a personal level, oh, he will. He, but he, I couldn't gonna, agree with you more. He's a good guy. He, I think he is. He just has I, I, crazy I, ideas now. Well. You know, maybe he'll be like Bill Clinton and change and move to center. Who knows? But here's what we do know is that he was clearly told behind closed doors that the policies he's pushing will lead to blackouts in California. That's the only explanation Hmm. for him signing legislation to keep their nuclear plant alive and actually sign legislation to pay to keep it alive and running because the, the push to more solar and wind on California's grids, even as they add more electricity consuming cars, and they're leading, quote unquote, the country in that. They're they were heading off a cliff, and he was told that. And so he, to his credit, he changed his mind. Mm-hmm. And he also authorized last year, quietly, the construction emergency emergency construction of, to your point, natural gas fired combustion turbines to in order to keep the grid lit. So right, good for him. Well, good for him. Right. Maybe reality will hold. Maybe. All right. So fusion and fission, we got a ways to go yet for this fusion stuff. Mark Mills, as always, I actually understood this, at least for the moment. I may forget it later this afternoon, but I got it. Mark Mills, nobody better. Folks, I'm Cudlow. We are going to take a break. And on the other side of the break, as we always do, we're going to do some stock market work. It was kind of an ugly week for stocks. but we got a couple of sharpshooting experts that are going to help pilot us. I'm Cudlow. Please stick around.